This is episode seven of Be Electric with me, Jodie Shield. I'm a coach, a self-improvement author, a TEDx speaker and a wellness entrepreneur. And every single week I'm bringing you a world expert in human performance, my favorite thing to talk about right now, or a relatable key message to help you become the best version of yourself and be electric. This week, I'm really excited because I'm chatting with Dr. Danny Gordon, and she's an international cannabis medicine expert. She's a double board certified medical doctor, integrative medicine physician, and a world leading expert in CBD, cannabis medicine, brain wellness, and stress resilience. Danny's co-founded the UK Medical Cannabis Clinician Society and also helped set up the UK's first cannabis medicine centers. A lot of tongue twisters in those words. Danny's book, The CBD Bible, Cannabis and the Wellness Revolution That Will Change Your Life, is out this June, 2020. So make sure that you keep an eye on that and grab a copy while you can. Listen, you have most likely seen the explosion in CBD over the past few years. But if you're like me, you're unclear on the difference between CBD and THC and how they can help you with stress, pain, and even impact your libido, make you more sexually charged. Um, and you might, like me, be unclear of what to look for when buying a good quality CBD. I've bought so many poor quality bottles of CBD because I haven't understood the difference between high and low quality and the strength and what to look out for, etc, etc. So you are in the right place here because Danny's going to clear everything up. I loved interviewing her. We had her puppy sitting on my knee for most of it, which of course made me feel amazing and I was in seventh heaven and it was, it was such a great interview. So I'm really excited for you to meet Danny. So have a listen, get inspired and be electric. Now, this episode is sponsored by my free Conscious Business Toolkit. So if you're an entrepreneur or business owner and you're aiming to run your business in a more conscious way this year, 2020, then head over to jodyshield.co.uk where you can download my free Conscious Business Toolkit. And within that, you'll find everything that you need to make your business a super successful and conscious one this year. Essentially, how you can make your business very successful and grow it and expand it without burning out. So I'm really excited to hold your hand through that and inspire you and motivate you to make this year a super successful one. Well, there's a dog, and there are two husbands looking at us. <laughs> and I'm with the lovely Dr. Danny Gordon today. Hello. Hi, thank you so much for coming. Danny's had a, a bit of a whirlwind day. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you've been doing? So, my day started this morning at 5 30 a.m. 
I went to the BBC to be on Five Live to speak about medical cannabis, specifically about the families who were fighting for their children with epilepsy to be able to have their medical cannabis on the NHS. These families have banded together and they're really kind of pushing the charge. Uh, and the main issue is, you know, medical cannabis is legal for over a year, right. but there's no prescriptions on the NHS. So these families are paying thousands of pounds a month for a private prescription. And they've, I've heard stories from many of them that they've had to remortgage their house. They've gone through their entire and family savings or extended family savings. Um, they've had to almost go bankrupt over this. And it's because it's the only thing that's helped the child's seizures. Wow. So today was a big day. They were in parliament today on, on speaking to the MPs. And we're trying to really get the government to step in and say, hey, can we help these kids? I feel like you're a campaigner at heart then. How does it feel to really stick up for amazing people like this who have powerful causes? It feels amazing. If you would have told me 15 years ago when I was in medical school, even 10 years ago when I graduated, that I was going to be an advocate for medical cannabis, my work was going to be medical cannabis, I wouldn't have believed you. Mm. Even though I was studying botanical medicine alongside my conventional training and I had my integrated medicine fellowship, this is natural medicine, but I was literally using almost every herb besides cannabis because of the stigma and I had to actually spend years deconstructing my own false beliefs about cannabis and then actually about other plant medicines. Um, so for me, it feels amazing because the people who are using medical cannabis, they, they really do need it. And um, to not have access to something and to have to feel like you're a criminal for wanting a medicinal plant is, is a crime in my opinion. Yeah, wow. So. I'm sure that a lot of people are very interested in cannabinoids. 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 No, cannabinoids. Okay. <laughs> and CBD and, uh, and, and actually need to work with the cannabis plant. However, I'm sure they're slightly held back by mm -hmm. the stigma attached to, to cannabis. Can you talk a little bit to, to that? to anyone who's interested in moving forward but is slightly skeptical at the moment. Absolutely. So, so yeah, about, about cannabis and the stigma. You know, being a botanical medicine expert and still not really coming on to cannabis, I mean, that really tells you a lot about our medical profession. I was the most leftward leading of, you know, a doctor as can possibly be. I went to Harvard and studied mind-body medicine. I was teaching patients how to meditate on my examining table. And cannabis was the last thing to add. I added it just under five years ago. So the stigma really comes from so many different parts of our culture. It comes from the government. It comes from um, things we get taught at school. It comes from our parents. And most of these things about cannabis and about other plant medicines are actually politically driven. It started in the States, you know, in 1930s. There was quite a racist um, anti-black, anti-Mexican campaign against the cannabis plant. Wow. And it was highly, highly successful at really demonizing cannabis uh, as a medicine. And it really carried on and it started to affect things like international drug law. Uh, I, I got a chance to go to the UN and um, have a chance to speak to some of the delegates about the rescheduling of cannabis internationally a few months ago. And I was really shocked when I went to the UN that a lot of the countries who were involved in the UN, they still have a prohibitionist attitude. They still think cannabis is really, really bad and really dangerous. And they're scared to even allow it to be studied in their countries. Yeah. So, you know, this is a lot of historical baggage we have around cannabis uh, and then specifically around THC. Yes, this so is, explain to us what THC is. Yeah, so THC is the part of the plant that everyone knows to get you stoned or high and you know actually there's a lot more than that. So THC is one of the few cannabinoids or plant 
chemicals in the cannabis plant that are called psychomimetic, which is a big fancy word for saying they can alter your consciousness. But it's not all that, you see. Um, but you know, it's something to be used with caution. It's, it's a power plant. Cannabis, I think of as a power plant, like the coca plant, um, like a lot of plant medicines, like even you know the, the humble coffee bean. It's a power plant too. Um, tobacco is a power plant. You know, these are powerful um, things, powerful stimulants. In the case of cannabis, THC is a powerful molecule. But with THC, when it's used in a medicinal context, and oftentimes, usually alongside CBD. Um, they basically um, help each other work and lower the side effects of THC and THC is actually what a lot of people need who have terrible chronic pain, who have spasticity and muscle spasticity, who have uh, treatment resistant sleeping problems, all of these things. This is where THC really shines as a medicine. So everyone wants to know about THC and psychosis, of course. You know, I was just doing an interview on TV today and um, even my interviewer said, you know, we were all taught in university that if you smoke weed, you're going to get schizophrenia. Yeah. And that's what I was taught in medical school, which is insane to me. I mean, this is what I got taught as a doctor in my training. Uh, and the reality is much more complicated. So in the general population, the risk of getting, um, you know, converting into a schizophrenia type episode or psychotic, psychotic episode from smoking cannabis, even very high THC skunk, you know, low CBD cannabis is actually very, very small. But if you have a genetic predisposition to some of these mental health disorders, if you've had a psychotic episode in the past, then it potentially is a risk factor. So I would never prescribe high, high THC cannabis, low CBD for someone who had a history of psychosis. But now there's people like my amazing friend and researcher, Dr. Lily Galindo at Cambridge, and she's looking at the complex interaction between THC and different people's brains. So some of us might be more prone to these negative effects from THC, and some of us might be protected from them based on our genes. So it's really teasing this apart, but we shouldn't be afraid of THC. We just have to use it with, you know, with respect, like all of these plant medicines. I remember when I was in... LA a few years ago, two years ago actually, two years ago, and um, CBD with THC ingredient had just been made legalized to buy in Malibu, in yeah. this like, particular shop in Malibu, and everyone was like queuing up to get this. Was it MedMen? Med I that think it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was a really interesting process and there was a lot of discussion about CBD and THC back then, and yes. still, even though there's lots of discussion around it, there's still so much confusion. So yes. thank you for, for clearing that up. I think I, I read recently or a few months ago um, an article about the latest studies on how it affects the brain. And actually, you can um, describe this in a much more detailed and relevant way than I can. However, they, they had like, they'd photographed the brain and they showed photographic study of actually um, it doing something super beneficial to the brain activity in the brain cells and actually and I'm paraphrasing here but it did the exact opposite that people thought that it did so with the psychosis effects or that you were talking about actually the this, this latest study was saying no it's actually really good for the brain could you talk about that so so yeah so it gets it is tricky you know because some of these studies I don't know exactly which one you're referring to so to be completely correct I'd have to check it out but in general um, THC can be, as well as other cannabinoids like CBD, can be neuroprotective or brain protective. Yeah. So for people with PTSD, for example, um, we can treat them alongside other treatments. Of course, it's not a magic 
cure-all, but we use THC to help with their nightmares. Okay. And it can quiet down some of these areas of the brain um, that are, are going kind of uh, wrong in PTSD. And that's where THC can really help. And uh, it can potentially protect brain cells in a number of ways, we think, too. Mm -hmm. And some of the newest research coming out is, is potentially, and this is very, very preliminary research, so we don't know what exactly it means yet, but it is quite interesting. Because what it's basically starting to, to bring up is People who already have psychosis, when they medicate, self-medicate with smoking cannabis, some of their symptoms seem to get better. Oh, wow. But that doesn't mean that anyone with cannabis with psychosis should smoke cannabis. Sure. Um, that's definitely not what I'm saying. Yeah. But what I'm saying is that relationship, like you're saying with the brain, all the neural networking's lighting up, and um, depending on the, the concentration of THC, the amount of THC, the amount of CBD, it can completely change the effects in the brain. Mm. So. It is really, it, it's very complex and we have a lot of individual variation. And it's also about the strain that we use. Yeah. So the key, it's called the chemovar. We used to think it was all about indicas or sativas, but that's actually not even correct anymore. Everyone's kind of married their cousins in the cannabis genetic world and um, you know, all the strains have kind of blended together. And now we have these chemovars, so we can say, okay, there's this terpene profile and this cannabinoid profile, and that might be really good for this type of person or this type of disorder. Um, the research is early, but clinically, this is what I found to be very much the case in a lot of mental health disorders. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. If I, if I think about my own experience with, with CBD, a friend of mine brought a bottle of it out to, to the States when we were in the States, and I first consumed it to remedy my uh, cycle cramps, my period oh, cramps, yes. because it was so powerful in reducing inflammation. Um, do you use it yourself? I do. I do use it myself. I use CBD because that's what's legal here without a prescription. Yeah. Um, in, in Canada, I've tried where the THC stuff is legal. I've tried small amounts of THC as well. Yeah. Um, I find for period cramps in particular, a little bit of THC can really help if there's a lot of spasm. Mm -hmm. But some people find CBD really, really helps them. And the research, again, is very scant mm -hmm. in, unfortunately, in women's health. This is this is where my, my feminist comes out, <laughs> um, which really makes me a little bit frustrated, uh, probably really frustrated that this is the case. But, you know, a lot of women are saying this is working for me and it's completely safe. And it's been really a women-led movement, mainly the, the CBD when it comes to women's health. So yeah, I, I think it can be very helpful. I use it for stress reduction. I use it before my meditations and yeah, yeah it's helpful. We were talking a little yeah. bit about your wonderful book before we started interviewing and you, you revealed how the, the lack of research around women's health was yes. something that you raised in the book. Could you talk a little bit more about your book? and uh, that angle. So when I first started about thinking about writing a book, I was actually originally going to be about burnout and peak brain performance. And then my agent kept saying to me, but you're, you're also the CBD person. I think you should write a whole book about CBD and medical cannabis. Yeah. And that's what I ended up doing. And the reason why is because there wasn't a book out there that really talked to the normal person that's not a scientist, not a doctor, about what is medical cannabis, how do they use it if they want to try it, how do they talk to their doctor about it, their neighbor, their mom, um, and then how can they use CBD? So uh, yeah, I basically wrote a book about my experience using it with thousands of patients in Canada and about CBD wellness. And one of the big areas that the people who um, follow me wanted to know was how can I use it for my women's health concerns? How can I use it for sex? And there was pretty much no research. 
So, uh, you know, a lot of it is clinical research. It's, you know, case studies. And I just share all of the latest stuff, um, you know, around CBD and women's health. We think that it probably helps through working on inflammation for a lot of these women's health concerns, um, we think. Mm -hmm. And um, there's probably other ways that it works too, but we don't really know yet. And of course, a little bit of THC. Some people find that it really helps with their, like their libido. Um, although if you have too much THC, then it lowers libido. So it has this, like, this, this double curve for uh, libido. So I found that really, really fascinating. And mm -hmm. I started talking to a lot of people and a lot of my patients about um, what was happening to their sex life when they started on medical cannabis for another reason. And a lot of them were kind of having these amazing positive experiences with the, the positive libido effects in their the relationships. And they were sharing these things with me. And I just thought, oh my God, I have to write about this because yeah. no one is really talking about mm. it. Um, so I hope it will just generate conversation and I hope there's going to be more research soon in these areas. Mm. Yeah, 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 it's interesting. In my line of work, a couple of years ago, I really got into female empowerment and I came across this amazing body of work by this really powerful author called Regina Thomas Hauer and she's got a book called The Power of the Pussy. Oh, I've heard of this book. I need to read it. <laughs> it's really, really good. So yeah, I, I feel like there's such an alignment there as you know, women's voices are rising up and being heard. Yes. Um, and it's a female plant, you know, as far as this is a bit, you're right. you know, in Western medicine, this would be considered very woo-woo to say something like this. But, you know, I'm also, I'm a Western medicine doctor and I'm a botanical medicine doctor. So, yeah, in, in botanical medicine, plants have herbal signatures and this is considered a very female kind of signature plant. So it is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. This is all about the woo on this podcast. So yeah. we can go as, as woo as you want to go. We can go, go as woo as we want to go. No one will judge me. Um, I'm really interested. You've mentioned, you know, that you studied botanicals. I'm really interested in what that is and what it means. Like, because I've worked before with a herbologist. Mm. And when I was working with her, she was telling me she was, you know, a dying breed. And mm -hmm. actually it's very hard for her to get verified. And there are so many other examinations she has to now uh, mm -hmm. do. And she has to keep increasing her capacity to study and learning new plants. And the, the, the regulations are changing so often. Yes. Um, is that similar to what you studied? So a little bit. So so I studied integrative medicine. So right. my first degree was in medicine. I'm a doctor of medicine. And then I went on to go into family medicine in Canada. So I'm a family doctor in Canada. And then I did another postdoctoral fellowship. So another specialization in this thing called integrative medicine. Yes. So integrative medicine is now the, um, the newest subspecialty of conventional medicine in the US. So it's recognized just like a heart doctor or an endocrinologist but only in the US. So I went back to Canada and I'm still a GP with a special interest. Um, in the UK, it's not recognized fully. It's just recognized as a special interest within medicine. Yeah. But basically what they teach you is all about mind-body medicine, nutritional medicine, and herbal medicine. And then I was just studying, studying, studying for this integrated medicine qualification, um, which I initially got in 2012, and then I upgraded it to a full specialization in 2017. Um, so, and then I've taken a lot of extra courses in, in herbal medicine, but very evidence-based botanical medicine. So from a very scientific point of view, but also a lot of it is clinical study, clinical case report. It's not this like randomized placebo controlled study with herbal medicine because we just don't have those studies. So a lot of it is actually learning with my patients and I just tell them, you know, this doesn't have the same level of evidence as a drug, but a lot of times it's safer, it's gentler, and I use them alongside drugs. So I wean people off of sleeping pills with herbal medicine. I help them with their stress and it just becomes a part of their lifestyle and they really 
it really empowers people herbal medicine because they feel like they're a part of their their story and their health and their well-being more so than just taking a pharmaceutical pill which they can't really connect with in the same way yeah of course because it's chemical compound yeah and Mm. i'm not against western medicine i think both are amazing but you know i think whenever we can use something natural i am all about that and that's how i try to you know practice what i preach as well so what other plants do you frequently prescribe people yes so i usually prescribe blends because with herbal medicine we have what's called herbal synergy so just with the cannabis plant you have this thing called the entourage effect which all means all the chemicals work together and they help each other out in the body the same thing goes with any herb so for example i'll use a sleep compound that has valerian hops passion flora um, sometimes skullcap sometimes i'll get into the more really sedative hypnotic herbs if they're necessary Um, In Canada, I have a herbal pharmacy that makes up these customized things for me. And then I have professional supplement companies that sometimes I just um, will use something off the shelf if I have someone who travels a lot and needs to take a a tablet rather than a crazy concoction of herbs. Um, But yeah, so I use a lot of ashwagandha. If you had to pin me down for one of my favorite women's health herbs, ashwagandha is one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great complement with CBD. Um, I use the sleepy herbs a lot. I use CBD. Um, and I also use a lot of nootropics, so yes. things that are not necessarily natural uh, from a plant, but they're still naturals and they're not a drug. So I use something called liposomal glutathione, which is in my fridge right now. I take for energy. Um, I use vitamins, nutrients, magnesium, all of those kinds of things that in the brain hacking world are quite common, but in Western medicine are quite considered a bit fringe still. Um, so you mentioned that you work with clients and, and I guess you have a client practice here in the UK. Right now, I don't because I've been so busy with my work in cannabis, but until recently I did and I was seeing a lot of one-on-one clients and patients. So for the last 11 years, I've, I've had a patient practice in Canada and then I've had kind of an international um, video conference-based client base and generally it's CEOs, it's um, corporate workers, it's sometimes the stay-at-home moms, it's everyone who's basically interested in stress. Um, to some degree or they've been failed by the medical system and they're looking for not an instant quick fix because as we both believe there are none of those Mm -hmm. but they're looking for a way to um, feel better and live a a healthier just happier life basically. Let's talk a little bit about your journey with CBD and uh, how you came across working with CBD and cannabinoids. Yes. Well, the first cannabinoid to use was was cannabis. So, you know, growing up in Canada, of course, everyone knows about cannabis. Um, and I was one of the only friends in my peer group who didn't smoke cannabis recreationally. Right. I was really scared of cannabis. I was very academic. I was an elite athlete. And so I was petrified of drugs. Um, I'd seen my friends have some of the negative effects with drugs, you know, and um, I decided it wasn't for me. I've still never to this day smoked a cigarette in my life. So I was pretty straight and narrow, and um, I didn't try cannabis until I was 21 with my best friend on her balcony one day when she said, you know, you just have to try it at least once. And we laughed a lot, and I thought, okay, this is, I guess, what it's all about. But then I didn't really think anything of it for another few years. It wasn't something that was in my my daily, uh, my life. It wasn't something I used recreationally. Mm. And then after medical school, I started practicing and I started practicing in British Columbia, and a lot of my patients were growing cannabis. And because I do integrated medicine and I'm very open-minded, they would just talk to me about it. And I was really interested because some of them were putting it through their juicer, wow. which we didn't know at the time, but that's THCA, which is a really good kind of, I guess you could call it kind of an antioxidant, anti-cancer molecule. It doesn't get you high. 
Um, they were doing all kinds of interesting things with it. I lived with in a student house after I'd graduated, sort of my practice, and I was in between apartments, and I needed a place to stay for a few months. So I lived in this student house, just rented a room in between places, and there was a girl in the house who was a self-trained herbalist, and she was growing cannabis in the garden, and she would hang it from the rafters in her room to dry it and cure it. Um, so, of course, I was going to my medical practice trying to s spray all this perfume on me so I didn't smell like uh, cannabis walking into work. <laughs> and she was making her own bombs for women's health wow. for a period. Wow. So I started to get really exposed to, I guess, the cannabis culture more from a medicinal point of view. And it started to challenge a lot of my stigma and my beliefs around even a few of my friends who had one of those early cannabis prescriptions where they could grow their own legally. And I thought, oh, are they just trying to get high? Is it an excuse to get high? And, and I just decided maybe there's something to this. And um, it all kind of really came to a head when I had a terrible accident. Right. And um, I flew through the air and landed uh, on my hand. I was hit by a motorcycle when I was jogging. Wow. When I was out actually overseas in Bali. And I had two kind of failed surgeries. I blew all the ligaments permanently in my hand, which can never be put back together. And so I had early arthritis. I had nerve damage that was keeping me up at night. And they told me, four different surgeons on three different continents, told me, you need to take these pills for the rest of your life. Um, strong pain pills, things that I had weaned my patients off of myself. And I said, I, I can't take these. But it was really affecting me. So. Uh, Long story short, I went to my medical conference like I go to every year in San Diego, my integrated medicine uh, conference where I later spoke about cannabis medicine for the first time. And one of my colleagues said, I'm using cannabis with people now. You should try it for your hand. So I got a sample from a company that was there. I put it topically on my, my hand for the whole, entire week. Uh, and by the end of the week, my night pain, my nerve, my burning pain was pretty 80 to 90% finished. I was sleeping through the night for the first time. Wow. So I left the little bottle because I couldn't take it through customs. They kind of told me maybe I could, but I was a little bit afraid. So I left Doctor it. Doctor gets arrested. <laughs> exactly. It's the last thing. So I said, well, in Canada it's fine, but I said, I don't know. It seems a bit shady. This is back in like 2000, I think 2015, I guess this was. So anyways, I, I left it at the hotel. I went back to Canada and um, I got a topical back in Canada from one of the legal shops and one of the dispensaries. They weren't even really, it was kind of this gray zone thing and I started putting it on topically and then I, my patients were at this point like, oh my God, you, can you please start prescribing this mm. now? Mm. So I decided to, to start and I started prescribing cannabis. I joined a cannabis medicine practice and I did a combination of cannabis and integrated medicine and that's what I've been doing for almost, I guess the last four and a half years. So what moved yeah. you over to the UK? So I'm British. Yeah. So um, I'm very lucky. I have the dual citizenship, and my husband's from London. And actually, most of our family is over here now. My mom's still in Toronto, but she does come to visit. And we were basically in between Bali and Vancouver, and um, we were basically ready to leave Bali because our brain business was growing, and we're doing more wellness things and more corporate wellness. And it was either back to Vancouver or try London and more family and. To be honest, it was more about our wellness business at the time and family. Um, and we'd always wanted to live back in London. And then I got here and the cannabis thing just really became a, a huge uh, issue. None of the doctors knew how to prescribe it. The law had just changed. And um, I was able to really get involved and um, to hopefully make some change. When you came to the UK and you saw how doctors weren't sure how to prescribe legal cannabis and CBD and everything else, how did you overcome those uh, issues? Did you set something up to make it easier? 
Yeah, so when I first came back, um, because before this I was splitting my time between Vancouver where my practice was and in Bali where our, our wellness center was, and I came to the UK and then I was going back and forth between the UK and Canada, mm -hmm. and I was still prescribing and still doing some remote uh, work here. And this is before the law changed, so when I first came back, it was actually illegal in the UK still. Yeah. And I was seeing my Canadian patients. So it was really weird to me because I was seeing this as a medicine. I was prescribing this, you know, every day. And I didn't even really share this with any of my doctor colleagues because it was illegal here. Right. And then when the law changed, um, there was a lot of initial interest and Professor Barnes reached out to me on LinkedIn and I got involved with him and um, he was setting up the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, which is a nonprofit we volunteer for. I'm the current vice chair. Right. So that's where I volunteer my time, uh, helping le doctors learn more about medical cannabis. Uh, after they're starting to prescribe, I've been mentoring some of the first doctors mm -hmm. and helping them get through their cases mm -hmm. and difficult areas. And then I've been uh, very uh, blessed to join a number of nonprofits. So I work with a number of nonprofits that sit on their boards. Um, one of the government groups, the Conservative Drug Policy Reform Group. And um, I do a lot of volunteer and a lot of advocacy work now. And um, that's really how it all kind of blew mm -hmm. up. That's so interesting. Do you get a lot of skepticism from other doctors? You'd be surprised, no, actually. Wow. Doctors are completely more receptive than we think they are. And I've been shocked in the UK. I did a talk at the Royal College of GPs uh, last week and I was very nervous because it was the first time I'd spoken to hundreds of my colleagues, my GP colleagues in the UK. Mm -hmm. I've done lots of talks for doctors before in North America and other places, but usually it's for a, more, a mixed crowd and this was only doctors. And I thought, oh geez, what are they going to think about this? And they were so receptive. They were absolutely on board and um, they're very open-minded. They just want the best thing for their patients. And they're just confused. They just want to know how I can use this. Is it safe? If it is, they just want some guidance, actually. They're quite open-minded. Wow, that's yeah. really interesting. It's been really, really interesting. Actually, you know, it reminds me that when I went to see a GP, I don't really see doctors very often, but when I went to see a GP, and he, he just said to me, look, the only thing I can prescribe is antibiotics. And I was like, I'm not going to take them. Yeah. He's like, what? I said, I'm really not going to take antibiotics. And he was like, well, everyone else I prescribe antibiotics to snaps them up. In fact, they come in here begging me to prescribe them antibiotics. I'm like, I know, but antibiotics do this and do this and do this. And we had this really interesting conversation. And he's like, wow, you're a breath of fresh air because in this borough, everyone wants antibiotics yes. all the time. People don't understand. For viruses and Everything. for the flu. And yeah. It doesn't, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I think GPs have a really hard job. There is, they're working in a system that is very financially constrained. They're, they have time constraints, it's very stressful. And I think if we support them more, then we're gonna be able to get better medicine. Because most doctors really do wanna help. I agree, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. So, here's, here's hoping, but do you think the UK <laughs> will ever fully legalize marijuana or cannabis? I think it is coming. I think it, I don't know how long it will take, but I think there's a general global trend, uh, especially in countries like Canada, UK, North America, you know, US, uh, Australia, Germany, the Netherlands. I mean, it's, I think it is coming and I don't know how long it will take, but we're, we're going this way and drug policy reform more generally as well is, is becoming a thing. Mm. And are, do you think that the UK government is more open to seeing the research and the results from other countries who have now legalised cannabis? I think they're becoming more open to it. I think what they're realising is this, this plant medicine does not fit into a neat little box of a randomised placebo controlled trial, which is what they use as this like holy grail evidence standard. 
So I think they are beginning to realize this. The NHS England guidance has actually acknowledged this wow. already. And that was a huge step to, for them to have the bravery to admit that this is this is a whole new uncharted territory. And I think it's really going to open um, the doors for other plant medicines, um, which have enormous potential. As I'm sure you know, psilocybin has got breakthrough drug status now from the FDA in the U.S. I mean, gosh, I mean, I never thought I would see this in my lifetime in medicine. Mm. So things are really, really changing in medicine now. That's amazing. Just to yeah. backtrack on what you said, psilocybin has now had FDA recognition. Yes. So it has amazing. breakthrough drug status, which means it kind of gets to cut the um, a lot of these steps out that the drugs usually have to go through because it was so effective in treatment-resistant depression. Um, and these patients have tried every other drug, and this is something I've seen in my own practice. It's not been legal to prescribe it in Canada, but a lot of my patients, they tell me about their experiences. And with this, with ayahuasca, um, psilocybin, other psychedelics, they've had life-changing experiences. And we're talking about microdosing. So there's two ways you can use psilocybin. I've had patients experience both, and clients of mine as well, especially in the States where microdosing is very popular. So um, some people microdose uh, psilocybin or even LSD or lysergic acid or acid, um, and they would do like three days on, one day off at a tiny dose that would not change your perception. So, you know, if you microdose someone, they won't notice a difference. They're not going to see uh, funny colors on the wall. Then there's the therapeutic dosing sessions, which uh, a lot of the amazing researchers in the UK that I've gotten to know here are working really, really hard on for many years. Um, and that's the, the big dose, where someone in a very safe setting, in a therapeutic medical setting, is given a dose of psilocybin and they have a psychedelic experience. Right. And they have a change of consciousness and they go through a very deep um, experience and they're led and guided through that process. Um, so both can be good and we're still trying to figure out what might be the best way or maybe some people can benefit from one more than the other. We don't know all the answers yet, but we know there's lots of ways to use these compounds. I feel so excited in my body right now to listen to what you're saying. <laughs> um, yeah. So people who listen to the podcast love, love, love hearing about um, guests' morning routines and yes. what you guys do in the morning. So can you give us a little download uh, sure. in relation to what your morning looks like? Yes. So generally, I try not to start my day too early. Today was the exception. I think I've done a few things with the BBC that even know this about me. They called me and kind of tentatively said, we can do a Skype if you absolutely can't come in. <laughs> <laughs> but generally, I wake up at about 7.30 or 8 a.m. And I get up and I grind my coffee beans. I'm really picky about my coffee and I buy really nice organic beans and that's part of my ritual is I grind them up. I'm very caffeine sensitive so I can only have one so I make it really count and I pour my coffee and then I usually um, just sit and have a little bit of breakfast and try to have some gap before I get on the computer and then normally I just go into the office after that and, and start my day. Um, people always wonder what I eat. I eat, I eat sourdough toast in the morning, and then mid-morning I'll usually have a protein snack. So I do like Vega protein powder or some other protein powder, um, almond milk, smoothie basically. Um, but I do eat gluten, I do like my sourdough toast, and my morning is all about being simple. Um, I don't spend a lot of time on hair and makeup. I'd rather sleep in 30 more minutes than get up early and do a bunch of stuff. I don't, um, I, I don't really do a lot in the morning. I exercise in the evening. Um, but if I'm working from home, I will take a mid-morning walk with the dog. 
So that's, it's very simple. I mean, you know, that's, I take a bunch of supplements in the morning as well. Yeah. Um, so I take a multivitamin. I take magnesium, like liposome and magnesium I take. Sometimes I take ashwagandha, depending on where things are at. I take reishi and cordyceps mushroom in the winter for immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I take liposome and glutathione if I've had a really uh, busy week for energy. Um, sometimes I take CBD, but not usually in the morning. And that's basically it. Mm. Very simple. So we just were in Cape Town and I bought some CBD roasted coffee. Oh, yes. I've had this. Yeah. <laughs> so they said that they roast the beans with CBD, which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. I Does s- that work? S- do you think it works? I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out how they do it, to be honest. But I had a few co- lovely companies send me some samples and, um, and I, did, I did use the beans and they were very nice. So, I mean, I think why not? I mean, I think some of these things are a bit of a novelty. You know, I don't think you're going to cure your anxiety with um, CBD coffee. But hey, I mean, maybe it does, it may add a little bit. I mean, the bioavailability is pretty, probably pretty low for that type of CBD, but it's definitely not going to hurt you. Yeah. And why not? It might help. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's because CBD is popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. CBD cream, CBD lip balm, CBD moisturizer, yes. everything. I use it on my face. Yeah. 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 I've, I've got a CBD infused serum with yoba and mm, biobub yeah i have a similar one mm. and um my my editor actually for my book she has eczema and she started to use a topical for eczema and she said it's almost gone now so it's really interesting how many things it can work for it's amazing yeah so i was digging around on your website a few days ago and i saw a section on there which was all about neurofeedback yes and you're not the first guest that i've talked to about neurofeedback but I've got a, a sense that you're going to explain it to me in a really simple way because I sense simplicity is one of your values. So could you talk to us a little bit about neurofeedback and explain what it is? Sure. So neurofeedback, I always say it's my other secret weapon. I love CBD and I love medical cannabis, um, but neurofeedback is something that both myself, my husband, and I use every day. Right. I just, well, maybe, maybe not me every day, but Nick almost every day. So neurofeedback is basically... Uh, brain training and what you can think of the brain without neurofeedback is it's kind of its own free agent it's meeting its own needs at its will it might be meeting a need that's based from a part of your brain that's from an addiction part of the brain or a stress part of your brain versus when you can do something like neurofeedback you're directing your brain to what you want it to do again and again you're basically telling it do this not that do this not that again and again and again so it's similar to meditation but with training whales. So with meditation, we're not sure what brainwave state the brain is in when we're meditating. We have to learn this over time. I'm a big fan of combining them personally. Um, I don't think it's necessarily a substitution for meditation, but it can be for some people who just cannot sit and meditate. Mm-hmm. I have clients who just, they've tried that for years, it just hasn't worked. Um, I also have clients who have been meditating for years and they have very, um, very strong meditation practices and it has helped them, but they still suffer from depression quite badly. So what they might be doing with their meditation might not be waking the brain up in the right way to activate them out of the depression pattern. Or the same thing with someone who has really bad anxiety. They might not be able to wind back their nervous system. Their nervous system is so jacked up all the time that they cannot get to a point where they can sit and meditate. Um, And that's where neurofeedback can help. I personally use it for sleep, for stress, and for mental performance. I do a deep form of neurofeedback, which is the twilight state. It's 
it's similar, it's like a non-drug way of kind of getting to a similar state as I've experienced with uh, plant medicine. Um, and basically you go into this deep alpha theta, it's called alpha theta neurofeedback. And I've had some incredible insights, um, flashbacks to really early childhood memories when my dad was went through a terrible long illness and he passed away a few years ago and I was really processing a lot of this grief and I, um, I remembered some very happy memories from when I was about three years old and I called my mom, she couldn't believe that I remembered these things. So um, yeah, neurofeedback is a way I think of you know tapping into your inner inner resource, um, your inner your intuition, and also training your brain in a more direct fashion for things like anxiety, um, stress tolerance, and um, low moods. To me, the brain always gives you information that you need to know in that time. I'm a very spiritual person, so of yeah. course I believe in like divine timing and synchronicities and, and everything yeah. like that. But it's so interesting that you, you can recall like memories, that you can kind of open up memories from from childhood, um, that's just fascinating to me. Yeah. And for those of the listeners who want to kind of visualize how you do neurofeedback, could you just walk us through like what it looks like and how sure. you apply it? Basically, okay. you apply these little sticky electrodes to the scalp right? and you clean the scalp so it has a good connection. right? And then there's this machine that looks really cheap and insignificant, but it's actually <laughs> extremely expensive and sensitive. Yeah. And then um, it's an amplifier and it sends these signals from your brain to a computer program. And then the computer program... I've had this. This is neuroresonance feedback. Is it the same thing? Neuroresonance is slightly different. There's a lot of different types of neurofeedback. So right. there's fast wave training, slow wave training. Right. Um, there's something called Esloretta, which can give you a 3D image of the brain. So right. that's what the kind we use. Yeah, yeah. I've had a whole body scan from all my organs, blood, blood, everything. Yeah, it's interesting. So these are these are two. So this is the unit we use to train clients at home. Okay. So it's smaller. Um, this is the big all singing, all dancing one. That's like a research grade one. Right. And basically what you do is you plug. This is very medical machinery here just that we have and actually some of it looks like you know that game that you used to have yeah, all the peg game that, yeah when this came the in the box would light up exactly yeah. exactly i know exactly what you're talking about yeah um light bright was it light, light bright, bright. yeah light bright so basically you plug in the different um areas of the scalp which you're going to train and you put on these ear clips wow and then you were on a computer and um, for this one, this is like the, the one, when we got this, this is the one that UCLA was using at the time to do their right. uh, neuroimaging and nerdy us decided we needed to have it. Right. Um, so you can actually build a 3D image of the brain and see wow. the neural networks in real time. Wow. Um, and then this one's a simpler version. This is like, kind of like more assisted meditation style. It's still medical grade. Yeah. So it's much um, more effective than the Muse, which is kind of like a consumer thing that doesn't, Fortunately, it doesn't really work that well yet, but mm -hmm. I think they're still working out the kinks. Mm -hmm. um, but this is the one that people can clip on. There's a clip usually, and it can go in your belt. Right. Um, and you can train with your eyes closed. You can train with your eyes open. It depends what you want to do. You can play video games with your brain as the feedback. So that's what we do with kids. Right. So they just we just hook them up, and their brain plays a video game, and the video game stops. So the Pac-Man will stop when they do the brain does the wrong thing. And when the brain does the right thing, the pathway will start going again. Wow. So it's, yeah, it's fascinating. I, I could really geek out on all this stuff with you. It looks amazing. So they yeah. use this um, as first line 
now alongside ADHD pills now for yeah. children in the US. So, so that's what I like about it. it. You know, we really know it is doing something. Yeah. Um, when we can see it, and clients can see the results change over time. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think all these things are amazing tools. But this is this is one of the the pearls I've discovered over the years. Wow. So yeah. you guys use this every day. Nick uses it almost every day. I use it a couple times a week. Not not as often as I, I once did. When I did a lot of the deep state training, I was doing a lot of sessions. Yeah. Um, and now, kind of like the plant medicine, I use it less now, yeah. but I always go back to it when yeah. I feel like I need to have um, an answer to an unsolvable problem. Right. Just like you know how you sleep on something? Yeah. Well, if you go in and you meditate and you do a deep state session with this, the answers to unsolvable problems really, really come um, quite easily to me. Mm -hmm. So this is, um, I really do enjoy using it. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. I would also, I'd meditate, tune in, ask my spirit actually, yeah. on a spirit level for yeah. the answers, but this is another way, this is super cool. Um, yeah. Cool. So we've talked a lot about, um, I suppose, human performance, peak performance, the podcast series is all about that. Are there any other practices that you are a big fan of, practices like high, high performance or human yeah. performance or anything of that nature that you love doing apart from absolutely. everything you've told us about which is a lot yeah so i, I dance mm. that's my my movement practice that i do that i feel is very good for my brain in all sorts of ways and there's loads of research for dance as a medicine dances therapy dances brain training um, and sometimes i do a specific dance protocol from the kia ballet uh, for under feedback to enhance some of my coordination before i do really more difficult uh, routines and so forth so dance um, and mindfulness, MBSR, mindfulness-based meditation, just 10, 20 minutes a day. That's one of my core practices. It's so unsexy and unexciting, but it's just, for me, it's, it's been a very powerful force. And when I work with clients, I, I really just tailor it to them. I mean, there's so many practices out there, but it's really about finding what's best for you, picking a few of your favorite tools and then sticking with it. Because if sometimes it's too many tools and they're all amazing, but if we try to do them all, it's like total overwhelm and it defeats the purpose. And sometimes just sitting quietly, people always ask me, I don't have any money, what should I do? Mindfulness or a form of meditation that speaks to you or chanting or something you can sit and do in your living room. Or putting on a Beyonce track and shaking it and off. And just shaking it off. Like <laughs> whatever it is for you, there's so many things you can do that don't cost any money. Mm. Um, so I like to start there and then build. Thank you so much. Finally, final question um, is, for people who are really interested in CBD, and listen, I'm sure everyone listening to the podcast has heard of CBD, tried it, or wants to try it. For anyone who wants to investigate it more and wants to start to use it more, um, what should they be aware of? And are there any particular brands or products out there um, that will give them a good place to start? That's a really good question. So there's lots of ways you can use CBD. So if you're looking for a topical, um, you just want to look for something like any cosmetic that's free of the bad stuff. So I like to do things that are paraben-free, toxin-free, chemical, as, as chemical light as possible. Um, and then if you're using an ingestible for CBD, I still believe that the broad spectrum or full spectrum hemp extracts work better than the CBD isolates. And it's, it's really hard to tell. So a lot of the very well-branded products are actually CBD isolate. It's far, far cheaper. So um, the products might be very expensive, but the cost of making it with CBD isolate is very, very cheap. 
So it's often the branding that's pushing the price up. And it's often a little bit sneaky because they won't tell you it's CBD isolate, you really have to dig. So the first thing is um, look for a product that has a certificate of analysis, so it's called a COA. That's a third party lab that's tested the product. And you can go and you can see, you can read it and you can see if it is CBD isolate or if it is broad spectrum or full spectrum. So it has some of those other plant chemicals in it. If you want to make sure you don't have any THC, if you get drug tested, if you travel to the Middle East or the US, um, if you're a sportsman, a professional sportsman, I've worked with a few of these guys and they cannot have any THC, it's an illegal substance. So using a broad spectrum THC free is the safest way to go for them. And for medical cannabis, if you're getting a prescription, there's um, definitely benefit for some people of adding a little bit of THC, but that's really under medical direction. Right, thank yeah. you. That's amazing. That's gonna give people a really good place to start. So Danny, thanks so, so much. Just to finish Pleasure. off, you've got a book out, The CBD Bible. Um, what else have you got going on and where can we find you? So my book's coming out in June in the UK, in July in the US and in Canada and in Europe. I'm doing a lot of speaking. I'm launching my company called CanSmart, which is going to be focused on mental health and cannabis and mental well-being. I'm going to be at Glastonbury and Boomtown uh, helping The Loop, which is an amazing organization that helps uh, with harm reduction, testing people's drugs and helping them uh, party in a healthier way amazing. and a safer way. And um, other than that, I'll be continuing my nonprofit work and my volunteer work with a variety of organizations, including the Medical Cannabis Clinician Society, Americans for Safe Access, and a variety of others. So you can find me on Instagram at, at Dr. Danny Gordon. And my um, blog is drdannygordon.com. Amazing. Thank you so much. Everything will be in the show notes of today's episode. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So there you have it. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Be Electric and you now know exactly all there is to know about CBD so you can go out and purchase a high quality bottle of CBD and you know exactly what to use it for, whether it is improving your sex life or whether it is reducing your stress and anxiety. It's a very useful substance. You can follow Dr. Danny Gordon on Instagram, Facebook, and please do look at her website too and register your interest for her new book, which is out in June this year, 2020. Now, if this is your first time listening, please do subscribe on your favorite podcast service and leave me a review because I need to know how I can keep improving the content I'm creating so that it's even better and you feel even more inspired every week. Big thanks to Dr. Danny for such an insightful and powerful interview and I will see you very soon. Mm -hmm.